Another week on the Fish Cast. Florida comes out early and falls down to Tennessee before putting their foot on the gas and pulling away from the Volunteers. FSU goes down 31-7 before scoring 17 straight points, but they came up short and lost 31-24. And the University of Miami gives Central Connecticut State a beatdown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the FishCast. My name is Corey Long. I will be trying to guide your tour this week. Joined as always by Charles Fishbein. How you doing, Fish? I'm at NASA right now, as you can see. And uh, yeah, Houston, he's got a Houston, NASA background. Houston, we have a problem, man. Yeah, lots of problems. Lots, lots of good <laughs> stuff happening in college football too. And of course, Coach Demo, Coach Demaris, how you doing? Corey and Fish, good to see you. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know what? We're not going to spend, we're not going to start the day spending 40 minutes talking about how bad Florida State is. We can come back <laughs> to them later. No offense. I'm just like, seriously, we spend half a, uh, they, they stink and, and we know it. So we can start with something else. Um, I want to start with the Gators again. Uh, beat Tennessee 38 to 14, looked really good. Um, you know, first half was what I expected. I thought they'd be a little sluggish and, Tennessee, I actually think they'll be fine with Josh Heupel over the long run. I think he's a decent coach, but, you know, they're, they're undermanned. But second week in a row, Emory Jones doesn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder. Richardson's not healthy yet. He throws for – I threw for – I know he was 21 or 27. I think he threw for two-something, ran for a buck 44. Um, he looks a lot more like a starting quarterback now. Like, the, he looks – a like whatever issues there were in the first two weeks, I think they've been able to overcome them now. Am I wrong? Well, as I told you in the beginning of the podcast way back when, Florida's a good football team, and they're going to win. They know how to win, and they're very confident, and they slowly are building a great program there. So this week wasn't a bounce-back game. Can we win? Can we not win? They knew they were going to win, and they did convincingly. The quarterback played well, and they, and they won convincingly. Tennessee, to me, it's still like a program that, oh, it's Tennessee, so whoever we hire is going to be a great hire. No, nah, that's not the case. And I think Florida State's finding that out, and some of these other programs are as well. you got to have special guys that have it, just like SC is looking for a guy right now. they got to have it, and they might not be there forever because it, it take the, it, when you have it, it might not be it there for a long time. So looking at what Tennessee is doing, I mean, I know Heifel's trying to do some right things, and they do look a little better than it was before. But Florida's good, fellas. Florida's yeah. good. Well, Florida's the better team. I mean, they won, they've won that game, I think, 16 out of the last 17. So it's not like, yes, the, something like that. That's not the series that it was in the mid-'90s and early 2000s. Um, but, I, I, like I said, I like Josh Heifel. I mean, we, he, was, he was at UCF. I think he came into kind of a – a rough situation, you know, they had to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt for as many off the field reasons as there were on the field reasons. You, Whenever there's coaching, you know, transition, you lose a lot of guys. You, the rules have changed. They're in a spot where their scholarships are being threatened. Like, it's not a, you know, it, it's not particularly a, a, a rosy situation, but I actually think on the field they 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 don't look like it. They don't look like a team that's out there just like they, they they look like a team that can actually do some things given some time. 
and I don't know fish. I'm not sure much of the game you watched. I, I watched a lot of the game. Hey, listen, they didn't look like Middle Tennessee State. They look like yeah. they be- they look like they belong. Now they didn't look like they're going to win the game, but I like their running back situation. It looked like they have some speed back there now. The quarterbacks actually look like they could throw a forward pass. I, he's going to get that team much improved between now and next year. Like you've seen with a lot of these coaches that second year, uh, whether it's um, Mel Tucker, the coach at Arkansas, uh, Sam Pittman, these guys have all proven that that second year jump, I think you'll see that with Heifel. I think that that team will be an eight, nine win team next year. They look a lot better. They look, look like they're going to be competitive. They weren't competitive the last few years. I mean, Florida would just run them off the field and they look like they belonged. And I think that's a big jump for them. You know, they have to improve the roster. Tennessee's one of those programs. It's, it's, they could be good. I don't, I don't buy this. Oh, it's, you know, their programs in the past that they can't win there anymore. I don't buy that. I, I believe they got all the resources to win there. They got the fan support. Um, it's a better job than a lot of the other jobs. Look, I, I think it's a better job than the Arkansas job. And, and they're, and, the Arkansas guys turned that program around in two years. Two years, they're 4-0 right now, and that's because those guys put in a system they believe in, the players believe in it. Uh, there's a lot of confidence now around that program. They had a big win yesterday. I think you're going to see the same thing at Tennessee. Hypo will get it done, and they'll be much improved uh, next year. Yeah, Tennessee is a lot like Florida State. They're magical places. They really are. Tennessee is a magical place. On game day, it's a magical place, just like Tallahassee is. So, yeah, I think you get the right people there you're going to win. So, I mean, they got everything you're talking about resource wise fish. You're exactly right. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, Florida fish, I mean, you still got a chance to see Emory Jones again. He's improving a lot. Like he looks a lot more confident. Like, I mean, this Alabama game looked like it did wonders for him. Uh, you know, we discussed this tons of times already. Dan Mullen is a top five quarterback coach in the country, period. End of story. If somebody wants to argue with me, I'm not going to waste my time. It's he's proven it over and over. He did it all the way back to the Utah days uh, with Alex Smith. He's proven it with Tim Tebow and what he did at Florida. He did it with uh, Dak Prescott at Mississippi state. And he's proven it this second time around at Florida with Trask last year. And you look at Emory Jones, everybody said, Oh, this kid can't play quarterback. He looks terrible. It's amazing what this guy does in a short amount of time. And I think what he does is he understands the strengths of a guy as a quarterback. He understands the strengths. He doesn't play to that guy's weakness. He's not going to put Emory Jones in a position to fail. He's only going to put him in a position to uh, succeed. And you see it. You just see the kid. He gets kids confidence. It's, a, it's like we talked about it like basketball. The guys that are great shooters, sometimes they just need a layup or a foul shot. And then all of a sudden the hoop opens up. That's Emory Jones. you got to do that with some of these guys. We've talked about it even with like Jeff Sims he, uh, at Georgia Tech. He's another one of those guys that get off subject. Some of these guys aren't natural passers. So what you got to do is give them some hitches, give them some easy throws, let them see somebody catch it, make a play. And then all of a sudden that whole playbook opens up. And that's what Mullen is so great at doing. He makes it simple for all the guys. And he determines the success of these quarterbacks. And he does a phenomenal job. Fish, you made a great point. You don't jam round pegs and square holes. You find the strengths of your players and you play to their strengths. You don't do standard operating procedure because that's what you knew at the place you were before. You've got a different place you're at. You got to find the strengths of your players and play to their strengths. And he does a great job of that. 
And that's why I, believe, I think he believes in Jones and Jones believes in him. And that's why I think that two-point conversion we talked about last week, Corey, there was something there that Mullins wanted between Jones and the running back and that mesh point. There was something there. They might have solved it, you know, during this last week of practice. But I think he believed in Jones so much that that mesh point really bothered him. And if you go back and look at it, that's exactly what it is. So he believes in Jones. Jones believes in him. And I'm telling you what, he's doing the best job he can putting these position players in position of their strengths. Demo, I look, I go back to Bobby Petrino with Lamar Jackson. Petrino had all these pro style quarterbacks and he said, listen, I'm going to build an offense around this kid's strengths because I think he's that special. And a lot of times these college coaches and even pro coaches, they see these guys come from college and they come to the NFL and they fail. And I believe it's because they want that guy to fit their system instead of building a system around them. And that's a huge thing with Mullen. Mullen looks at guy's strengths. He has a different system. He has his core system, but he understands how to build that system around a kid's strengths so they have success. Not every coach can do that. They want these yeah. guys to adapt to them and not them to adapt to that because that's work. Mullen understands that that's work, and a lot of coaches don't want to do that extra work. Right, because when you get to a place, you got to evaluate who you already have there. And then you say to yourself, do I just get the best players available or do I get the players that fit what I want to do and make them stronger and better? And that's what you have to deal with. Some of these programs, when they take it over, and they're not that successful. Um, yeah, and you know, y'all, y'all bring that up, and it's because it, it makes me think about the situation at Clemson. Clemson loses their first um, their first game to a to a conference opponent. It seems like about three years, two and two. I can't remember the last time they lost two games in September. And you know, they're pretty much you know they're pretty much spinning their wheels. And I you know I look at the quarterback, and I I think DJ. Ugalele is very talented, like I do. I think he reminds me a lot of Dante Culpepper. Big body, can do a lot of things. And it's like I watch him, and they're trying to make him – it just feels like they're trying to either by his request or their request, they're trying to make make him into a pocket passer that he just isn't. And it's like I tell somebody, like, I'd be Tim Tebowing the heck out of this guy. He's a big 250-pound bowling ball when he gets downhill. I feel like, and I told this to you before, Fish, I feel like he was a kid that you get him a couple power runs early, get him physically involved in the game, and he's just going to be a better quarterback. But, you know, again, they got him dropping bad. They got him taking five. They got him taking seven. You know, and it's just it just doesn't work. And I, I'm, I'm curious right now if the Clemson staff isn't getting exposed a lot because they've got a kid that's very talented that they can't figure out how to use him. Corey, we had a heated discussion last year. I, I remember watching the Wake Forest game last year. Clemson went up 35 nothing with Trevor Lawrence, and they brought him in. And I said, this guy's not going to have success. And, and I, I, I named my reasons why. This is a guy that they're trying to conform to their system instead of build a system around him. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. His strength, his number one strength is his ability to run. He runs, honestly, he should probably be a tight end because the kid is so big and athletic. But Demo had a kid like this, a little bit like this. I think this kid's a little more athletic than DJ Jefferson, who ended up a tight end at Rutgers. You have to build around these guys' strengths. He's a one, I watched his high school film. He was a one read guy. All right. You're not going to make this guy read the whole field. And what you have to do is kind of like what Kendall Bryles did 
with uh, RG Griffin at, at Baylor is you have them do half the field reads and basically call the plays. So they have, you have this guy roll out, have him do uh, some drag routes, have him use his strength as ability to run. Like they have to build the offense around him. If Clemson continues to run the same offense that they ran for the prior two quarterbacks, you're going to see this team lose two or three more games because that's not his strength. They're trying to make him do things he is not comfortable. And if the kid doesn't want to adapt, then tell the kid to go somewhere else because their job is to win ball games and put him in position to succeed. And I know everybody sits there and goes, oh, well, we're trying to build this kid for the NFL. This is, listen, that's the job of those guys up at the NFL to change him, not these guys at the college level. Their job is to win games and put him in the best way to be successful. Right now, that's not working. I mean, Clemson's offense is dead last in almost every stat. And we haven't even got to some of the other teams in the ACC yet that we're going to talk about. Now, good point, Fish. You know, we talked about this after the Georgia game, that they have to get their offense more around the quarterback who's there, not the one who's not there anymore. So they've done a little more run game with this kid. I watched them at the NC State game, but not enough. And if they don't do more, this kid has a ceiling. He has a ceiling. The ceiling's not going to go any higher unless they start to evolve the offense around him. Like you said, Fish, if they don't want to do it, then they made a mistake in recruiting. They have to own up to it and go recruit somebody else, just like they have to do with their but but their team, their team still is good, but they don't have those playmakers on offense like they did in the past. Well, that was my biggest concern is they've struggled recruiting the running back position. They don't have a replacement for Etienne. They have this kid Shipley who's a five-star running back he isn't he's not Etienne Uh, let's just get that straight and he's already banged up he's a compliment he's a compliment he's a stud. no he's not the stud and their receivers Ross is coming off a horrendous I mean almost a career-ending injury you could see he's not the same player he was before he got injured they don't have the same skill set on offense they don't have a tight end to throw to which is a very good outlet for a quarterback that struggles in games they don't have that tight end and you start to look, the strength is their defense, and their best defensive player now is probably either out for the year or out for a while. So this Clemson team, for the first time, has had adversity uh, under Dabo probably in close to a decade. It's going to be interesting to see how these kids adapt because we know they're, they're front runners. Those kids know how to only win. And now they're in a position they're probably – they're one game away. If they lose one more game, they probably won't even make the ACC title game. And what are these kids going to play for? You now have to get them up. Bobby did a great job, no matter what. You had coached under Bobby that those goals were always there, no matter what. Hey, there's top five finishes. There's this, there's that. He always set goals that were still achievable, even if they lost one of these or two games. So that's that's something that we're going to have to find out about Dabo and the staff. Well, the other thing, too, we can't overlook that when Dave Clawson beat Florida State, we're saying Florida State this, Florida State that. We also got to give credit where credit's due. That's to Dave Clawson. Same thing with NC State. Yeah. You know, we could say Clemson this, Clemson that, but NC State still had to beat them, and they did. So you got to give credit to Dave Dorn and his staff for putting a game plan together and going out and beating Clemson, whether they, yeah. whether they, whether Clemson's any good or not. That's hey. not NC State's fault. Hey, Dima, that quarterback's from New Jersey, so you got something to go on, the kid from there NC State. Go. There you go. Jersey against <laughs> well, the world, baby. Yeah, and uh, NC State looked a lot different than they did a few weeks ago when they, you know, looked really bad against Mississippi State. And, yeah, it's it's definitely a credit to Coach Doran and um, you know, and 
They're such a tough team to beat at home, though. You know, in a big in a big game, I was there. I know. Yep. In a big game in that environment, they could beat pretty much anybody in the country outside of like Alabama. Wondered they could beat teams at their place. So, you you look at the four and teams out there: Michigan State four and They they survive an overtime win. Went over Nebraska. Um, Wake Forest and Boston College, both 4-0. Wake Forest absolutely tore up Virginia. Boston College beats Missouri in overtime. Uh, Arkansas, 4-0. They beat A&M yesterday. Uh, Kentucky, 4-0. They beat South Carolina in a, a miserable game uh, yesterday. Just, you know, what are these, you know, some of these coaches are new. Obviously, Sam Pittman's a two-year guy. Mel Tucker, Jeff Hapley, all two-year guys. Clawson's been around for a while. Stoops has been around in Kentucky for, what, five, six, seven, six, seven years now. What are these guys – I mean, if we had to point out levels of success with each of these guys, what, what are you guys thinking? I'll tell you this. That Nasler scandal, whatever the hell it was at NC, uh, Michigan State, didn't bother Mel Tucker. He took that job. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. But here's what happens every so many years, guys. The pendulum swings. And when the pendulum swings, the guys that are in position to win have to win. A la the Boston Colleges, the Michigan States, the Wake Forests. They got to take advantage of the pendulum because the pendulum's going to swing back the other way. And when it does, they're going to back, be back taking their lumps again. So when they on top, they have to take advantage of it and then give it credit to those guys. That's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Halfley's a guy that, you know, I've always liked. I remember meeting him up at Rutgers at one time. And look, he was on NC State staff with Urban and, and their defense was very good. And, and he's has some NFL pedigree. He's done a great job at Boston College. He understands that program being from the Northeast and their limitations. You mean he was at Ohio State, Fish? He wasn't at NC State. He was at Ohio State. I, right? meant, oh, I meant Ohio State. Yeah, I know you did. I know you did. Uh, I'm, I apologize, man. I do make I, mistakes. I, know you did. I, know you I make did. mistakes once in a while. Not often. Once in a while is okay. Corey <laughs> makes too many. <laughs> All right. So, but he was at Ohio State. They won a national title. He's a defensive coordinator. But he understands the limitations of Boston College program from being up in the Northeast. He, he, he knows how to build that program the right way. Uh, and he's going to be a, he's going to be a wanted man. I mean, if he continues to win at BC, he's going to be one of these guys that even probably the NFL takes a look at. You look at Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman coach. He's been coaching. Demos talked about being around these programs and being inside these programs. Pittman was at Arkansas with uh, Brett Belima. And when Brett had his success and they ran uh, the, their successful offense, the, Sam Pittman was the guy that was the main reason when he left, Arkansas, Brett Belima ended up getting fired because of that loss. He went to Georgia and built that team up. He does a great job of recruiting and developing offense alignment. And that's outside of quarterback. It's the most important position on the team. He's done that on Arkansas. They are a big physical team. You look at them. They do not look like a high school team. They look like a pro offensive line, big guys that can move, they can bend, and he could fit that system. And he hired two great coordinators. You know, Corey, that I'm a huge fan of Kendall Bryles. I'm, I'm on the Kendall Bryles fan club. I'm a huge fan. I think he's going to be a head coach uh, in the near future. And he got a defensive coordinator in uh, Barry Odom that was a head coach. So he has two guys that I always said, you know, how you tell your staff guys that were either head coaches or are going to be head coaches again, or guys that have the potential to be a head coach. How many of those guys do you have on your staff? 
And that's how you know a good staff, because if those guys can not only coach, but recruit, you're going to have a lot of success. And that's why Arkansas is having, yeah, that's why Arkansas is having a lot of success right now. And the other programs, like Demo said, it's just timing, you know, it's just, it's, it's their time. Michigan state, um, D'Antonio won a lot of games. I always thought D'Antonio was a hell of a coach and he did a hell of a coach and didn't get enough credit, but Mel Tucker's gone in there. And once again, understands that program that he understands the limitations and the strengths. And I remember a good friend of ours, James Coley had told me at Georgia, he's like, listen, fish, Mel Tucker's a guy you want to look out for. And I'm like, I did, I did bring up the one concern I had is if you look at Mel Tucker's career, he has not stayed at a place for more than one or two years. So it's, can he be able to sustain it here? And the thing is, is he's already proven that if he's a wanted guy and he does well there, how long is he going to stay at Michigan State? But I think overall, they've all understood that these situations are all the same. Those guys understand that program. Dave Clawson understood Wake Forest. Hey, we got to build it a certain way. We're going to get this certain type of players that we know aren't going to just bolt to the NFL. He wants NFL guys. Let's not get it wrong, but he's done a very good job of finding program kids that fit his thing, but that doesn't work at every program. That's not going to work at Florida state or Miami. It works at wake forest. It works at a Northwestern. That's why those guys have success. They understand that program. I think the one, the one of, of all the groups, the one that of all these coaches in these situations, the one that intrigues me the most is Boston college because he went against what had been the, that school's identity for years. Like it just been, they had kind of been a power team known for having a big burly running back, occasionally having some pretty good defenses. And, you know, with the exception of Matt Ryan and Doug Flutie, they had always been that way. He went in and completely pro styled that thing, changed the offense, you know, changed the talent, you know, made, he basically did what Jeff Collins is trying to do at Georgia Tech. And has done it so quickly. That's that's really what impresses me more than anything, is just his ability to not just you know to not only to win but to completely change what they're doing while he's doing it. But he's been in the pros, and he understands the talent that he had on hand, what he needs, and what the strengths of that program are, and he utilizes those strengths and does not try to make them what they're not good at. We talked about it with Mullen. He happily has built that team around their strengths. And that's why they've had success early. He understands that program. Not every coach understands the program. They take over. Demos talked about it with Florida State. Oh, you got to have a Florida State guy. You have to, you know, sometimes I real I, I do get what he's saying. And this is one of those situations. Halfley's kind of like a BC guy. He's from, he, he's from the Northeast. He understands that program. He understands what their strengths and weaknesses are. And he, he's probably looked at why have guys had success? Why has what why have guys gone up there and had success? And he's worked on those reasons why they've had success instead of going, Oh, well that I'm going to do it my own way. No, he understands that program. And that's why they've had that success. See the guys that are having success right now, the programs we mentioned, I would guarantee you that they're junior and senior dominated. And also I guarantee you that they took advantage of the COVID and some of them, not all of them, but some of them have those six year players playing for them. Then when the pendulum swung to these other teams, not doing so well, they had to take advantage of the opportunity that was given to them. And that's exactly what they did. So credit to those coaches. Coach, I mean, you've been, you were in two rebuild situations at NC state and then they've been at Rutgers. 
And both of them turned out pretty well. I think you won, I think, what was it, your second or third season at NC State, became a 10-win team, uh, came razor thin close to winning the conference a few times. Rutgers, um, you know, got that situation from being Rutgers into being a top 25 team. In both cases, what would you say were 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 the were the were the turn were the points? So why did those programs have have the success that they did during those time periods? I think there was no expectations at those programs. There was a little bit more at NC State, but there was zero at Rutgers. So you got all the time in the world to build. You can make a ton of mistakes. You can do things, and then when it finally turns your way, because you get a couple of recruiting kids in there that can make a difference, then then it happens. These other places a la USC, a la Florida State, there's no time. You better win. You better win now because that's what they're expected. That's what the level of expectations are at those places, Texas A&M, et cetera. You go to these other places I was at, Corey, we had time to build. We had time to make mistakes. We had time to recruit and say, okay, he's not the kind of player we want. This is the kind of player we want. And then we were able to build an identity about what we want to do on offense, defense, and special teams, and then go recruit those players. And we had a better chance of getting them because we started to have a little success. So I think success breeds success, right? You win, you got a chance to get better players. If you don't, you're fighting for, you know, whatever you can do to get them there. So I think these other places don't have those high expectations and a win-now attitude. And if some of the places out before, you had time and you had some patience. So Dima, you're saying you don't believe in lose big, lose small, win small, win big. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is one way fish. I don't know any ways, man. I know one way. Give me the best players. I'm going to go recruit them. They can tell me no. I don't care. But eventually they're going to tell me yes. There's a certain program losing small this year. They're just losing now. <laughs> the problem is that the, the key lose. So moving on, um, one team that won big yesterday was Miami. And it helps when you're playing what, what's the, what's the uh, equivalent of a junior varsity high school team. They play Varela. They played Varela High School. They played Varela High School. They played Varela, who was dressed up like Central Connecticut State. Dude, that's uh, a non, that's a non scholarship school, by the way. They don't give out. Kidding? They do not give out scholarships. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't. After you know, seeing well, they, they, you, know, you know, you know, you know, they gave a scholarship. I can't even believe I'm gonna mention this kid's name. Is Justin Birkenholtz was there at one time? Really? Yes, oh he was God. at Central Connecticut State. So there, there's our Justin Birkenholtz reference. They got. I, I think they might give out scholarships now. I'm not. They, they're, they're not like one double A. This that bada bada bada. Let's send D, let's 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 send Devo up there to recruit. No. You get a bunch of nice Jewish kids. Yeah, no, the only guy would go up there to get is the guy that's no longer with us. The the they're they're guy. <laughs> I can look at that and say that I don't know how many scholarships they give out. I know how many they should have given out after watching that team yesterday. They should uh, save all their money. That being said, Miami did what we thought they should have done a while ago. I, they were forced into playing the two younger quarterbacks who were going to have a good day. Again, this wasn't a good team they were facing. James Williams had an interception. What uh, a shock. I know. You know, you put the six foot five, 225 pound you know, elite athlete that can play three levels of your defense. He's bound to make a play. I guess he finally um, learned the playbook. Yeah, I don't know. Did Leonard Taylor play some? I yes, saw yes, he played. Rashard Smith played. Corey yeah. Brown played. They unloaded their all their freshmen, and they all played and played. They all made – Thad, Thad Franklin played. He had, like, his first carry was, like, a 60-yard touchdown. We talked about it. 
their younger players or their more talented players. Yeah. Now, again, they were not playing a very good team. They weren't playing. I wouldn't even classify Central Connecticut State by saying they were bad. They were they're well worse than bad. I mean, you know. I think they'd have to go independent league in Florida if they had to play high school football. All right. I Lado High School's calling them up tomorrow. I see. I, yeah, I seriously doubt they could win five A this year. I think five, <laughs> I think, you know, even though they'd make the playoffs. <laughs> no, no, this team, this team's sitting on the sideline and FHA football, man. They can't beat IMG. I can tell you that. Uh, no, oh God! You saw what I that that they would they would do them worse than they did Bishop Sycamore, I think. I don't, you know, but um, <laughs> but you know the young guy. So as a, as a coaching staff, you're two and two. You haven't played a you haven't played a conference game yet. So a lot of stuff is still ahead of you. They still haven't played a conference game and they're two no, and two. They haven't played a conference game yet. No, they played Alabama, Michigan State, App State, and this high school team yesterday. So. Yeah, they're, they're they're conference from here on out. Yeah, they so, play for they open they're opening next week at uh, Virginia at home. I think on a Thursday night. Okay, so you get a short week. I don't think King's going to play again. I don't think he's going to play again this week. On a short week, he might. He may not play this year. I think he's badly hurt. I think Demo is right. I think Demo is right. I think he has a separated shoulder, and I'd be surprised to see him for a while. From what I've been told. Well, no, okay. So knowing what you have, and you know, now you've got a chance to see your young guys in a situation that was very favorable to them. How you're Manny Diaz? How are you starting to work these guys in as you get in your comp? Because you got to play them. I mean, these guys are good. You got to play them. I'm going to take one from Demo. Uh, there's a two-quarterback system that may need to be played in, in down in Coral Gables. And we may just go Demo. Hey, we're going to just go two-quarter. Let's just, you know, play the two of them, see who has a hot hand, and ride it until one of them wins the job, you know? So I have to apologize. I didn't even watch the game. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to. I doubt you have the cable system that can find a game like that. Central Connecticut. Oh, I got I got a bunch of games out, but that, that was one I wasn't. Demo, you couldn't even get that on a legal TV up there. Come you on, you're right. <laughs> that was on. I think that was on like one of the uh, Bally Dude. Sports channels down here. Yeah, that, that, that thing, that thing was like not anything a... we could catch. Oh like, my god, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, um, all right. Uh, well, shoot. Let's let's just let's go into the let's go. Well, you know, let's go into the less bad first because Charles said that BYU was going to hang sixty on USF, and for a quarter, it looked like he was going to be right because they got out with twenty-one nothing. They scored literally in like five seconds on the first drive. Then something happened. USF started deciding they were going to play a little bit more possession football. They made some plays. They got confidence. And lo and behold, they score late. They made it 35 to 27 with four minutes left. Unfortunately, they'd use a bunch of timeouts in the second half because they had long drives that they wanted to they wanted to capitalize on. And BYU was able to get a few first downs and salt it. And, and at times I thought maybe BYU, you know, they missed a field goal here, get one block, had a couple of plus side possessions that didn't work out. But USF went young, which they should have done. And, it, and, you know, you felt like you saw some young talent grow up out there. They were really undermanned yesterday and put up a heck of a good fight in a cross-country trip against a top-15 team. I, 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 we talk, I think Jeff Scott has – he's 
done a pretty decent job this year, even though the team, you know, they got blown out against NC State. You now find out NC State's pretty good. And yesterday, it's very hard for teams to go out to BYU. I mean, heck, Miami went out there with the national championship caliber team one year and lost to Ty Detmer. It's not a fair place to play, especially for a team like USF that usually doesn't travel outside their region. For them to keep the game close and those kids to stay interested. And I watched part of that game too last night. They look better. They look, they don't look like the worst team in college football anymore, which they look like against NC State. So he had, you know, the McLean kid who was he he took a quarterback out of Seminole High School that won a high school championship last year, winning program. We talk about that, taking kids from a winning program. He took some other kids, and the team looks a lot better. They're better coached from, from week one till now. And I think you'll start to see, I think that team has a potential to pull an upset or two during the year, probably get to what we talked about, I think, earlier in the year. They'll get to three or four wins, and they'll look good heading into next year with a second-year quarterback, hopefully for their sake that their program isn't scheduling BYU next year and uh, gives them a couple easier wins to start the year, because that's what you need, a team like that and a program like that. You need to start out with one 1AA program, a couple you know, division one programs that you can beat and get, you know, beat three and one when you go into conference schedule. So your team feels confident and they're not beat up and they feel like they're playing for something. Now this team is trying to dig out of a hole that they built early in the year and they're going to, they'll probably do it, but it's going to be a, a long process. And, you know, this guy's got to just go out. We talked about it. The state of Florida produces a lot of talent. He's got to go into Florida and Georgia and improve that roster. He's got a quarterback now. That's the one thing you need. And that kid has proven himself since he's come in. McLean is a really good quarterback and he's got that guy. I don't think they've got some couple of pieces in their backfield and a couple of receivers that I looked at and I thought they've got a chance. So I think, you know, obviously we like horn, you know, they've been using a, a horn a lot. Um, what's his first name? Uh, Jim, Joe horn, junior. Joe, I think. No, not Joe horn. It's like Jimmy horn, Jimmy horn. Yeah. Jimmy Jimmy horn. horn. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we loved him. Well, I remember we thought he was a like that's a legit power five kid, right? Oh now. yeah, I thought he was. Yeah, so, yeah. So I like some of what they're doing. Um, but I tell you, Corey Fish got right about one thing. He's right about a bunch of things, but he's right about this. It's hard to play at BYU. I, it's a tough nut. I remember when I was in Hawaii, we played out there. And we're getting off the bus, and all the fans were like, "Hey, welcome to BYU. Welcome to Pro whatever Provo, whatever whatever hey, from. Welcome, welcome." And I'm saying to myself, did they know something? I don't know. And then we get on the field and I go, where the heck did they get all these grown ass men? Their calves are like huge. I said, what's going on? They said, oh, those guys were on missions. They're coming back from their yeah, missions. They're like three years. or four. I'm like, holy smokes, what the heck? But it's a tough nut to play out there. So kudos to UF, UCF, USF for going out there doing what they did. Take three. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the flip side, there is only one 0-4 team in the state of Florida, and it is that they reside in Tallahassee. Um, they, um, they're, for the first six quarters of the Mike Norvell era against Louisville, it's been brutal because they got housed last year, and they basically got housed in the first half yesterday. The second half, they showed a lot. You know, they, they, showed, a, they showed improvement, and they got the game within one score, um, had a chance. Uh, did not win because uh, late interception because uh, some of the players, Andrew Parchman, you remember you talked about getting guys off of winning programs? His program was 0-10. Um, 
and he basically let a DB go out there, beat him one-on-one, and grab an interception. I don't um, want to pick out any kids, but is that number seven? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. He was having a good – He was, he was actually having his game. best game that he's had all season up yeah. until that. But he didn't win any one-on-one battles, which they really brought him in to do. Yeah. And then he got just beat, you know, when they needed him the most. When I'm thinking – I'm looking at the play, I'm like, you horse-collar the guy. You do something. Yeah, you, you just don't, don't want to catch the ball un, 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 unimpeded. But whatever. Um, I, the first four plays, they give up a third and nine. They get the top blown off. Miko Dotson basically lets Ty Harrell run right past them. A Miami kid. Yeah, a Miami track kid, no less. I'm guessing he didn't read their scouting report on him. Yeah. And the weird thing is Miko was from, like, Palm Beach County or something like that. So, you know, he should nah, know. He's, he's from Daytona, but it's okay. Okay, yeah, he, you know, he should, he should know who the fast kids are in the league. <laughs> They usually don't ask Central, but they blow by. They don't. You would think. You would think. Miko no, man, got, mainland kids know what like Central yeah. kids, Central Northwestern <laughs> kids look like. By a Miami kid at one point in his life. I can't so walk into Daytona mainland now, <laughs> dude. I just lost my pass. <laughs> in the first half, I mean, Malik Cunningham did whatever he wanted to do. There was a drive. Um, they were up 17 to seven. And I remember it was the one drive that really took notice. They did not lose any yards on the entire drive. It was power run, power run, play action, power run. They just bullied them around the field. They did that two drives to get it to 31 to seven. FSU made a comeback. There's no doubt. They got it 31 to 20, I think, on the first play of the second half. Uh, Jay Sean Corbin ran for a 75 yard touchdown. So they were in the. So, you know, relatively speaking, they were in the game. Special teams was bad. They miss a field goal, miss an extra point. Those four points you lose right there. All these things kind of change, um, you know, the way you play a game. There, So, you know, we're not going to go moral victory Monday because I don't believe in those. And at this point, you know, there's nothing to take out of them. And But, well, once, he- again, they, but once again, they did enough. To where afterwards you're hearing, oh, well, next week is going to be the week. And now we know what's going on. And we're going to bust our butts next week. And I feel like if we can put it all together for four quarters, they can't. They no. can't do it. <clears throat> see, so, what, what, what you're starting to see, Corey and Fish and our audience, is some of the limitations on Mackenzie Milton because of that devastating injury. He's a short guy. And his mobility he used to his favor to get out of the pocket and extend plays. He's struggling a little bit doing that. And that's why I said to Fish, why didn't the other quarterback go in? And Fish had mentioned to me that he thinks he might have been hurt. So that's where you got to take advantage of the two-quarterback system. Because McKenzie still gives you a good chance to win the game. However, he is limited because of that devastating injury of his mobility. The other thing I want to say is number eight and number zero, they run the ball hard. And when they set them up with counters and powers, whatever, whatever they're trying to do with them, those guys run the ball hard, okay? But I'll tell you what, when I was at Florida State and Winky or somebody would throw the ball up, I guarantee you Peter Ware could come down with it in that situation. So that's what I go back about saying to dudes. you got to have a dude to say, man, I'm going up and get this ball. It's my ball. Get out of here. They just don't have that. And that's why you see that Louisville DB make that play and that kid. And so I'm hoping they can get back to the two quarterback system because I think Milton can't go a whole game. I think he can only go sparingly and then you have to make sure he gets, you know, 
uh, some energy back to his leg and, and everything else so he can get back out there and do what he does best. You know, I, I'm going to come out and just say I, I'm impressed so far with what they've done in the run game early in this year. I mean, when teams know you can't throw the ball and they can stack the line and you have a quarterback that's not mobile and they're still doing what they're doing in the run game is impressive. I think that's the strength of their team. They haven't figured it out yet. Uh, I think they get too cute. I thought the fourth down play where they had the quarterback look to the sideline and the ball get direct snap to the running back. And they, they got it. They can't do stuff like that. That's losing games. It's fourth down early in the game. It's 10, nothing. We talked Gimmick about it. Shit. Gimmick. Yeah. Fourth and two. They go for it on their side on the 50 yard line early in a game. You know what? Punt the ball. Give yourself a chance to get to the second. That's a that's a short field. You're down 17 nothing now. I, I just they're they're trying. It's like everything's falling on them, and they're trying everything to not lose a game, and they're doing everything in their power to actually lose the games instead of win them. I think this team needs to rely on the run game. Like Demo said, the the sad thing is is McKenzie's had time. He had time yesterday to throw the ball but his leg looks like it just goes dead on him. I mean, like he literally right. starts to run and it looks like somebody shot him in the leg and he goes dead. It's sad because he doesn't. Times, yeah, he slipped. It looked like he slipped, but I think his leg went dead. I, I think know. his leg went dead. They said, oh, it was the turf monster. It looked like his leg literally just went dead. You've seen it where guys pull their hamstring and they just stop running. He literally looked like somebody shot him from the stands and he went down and, and he just doesn't have. And how many times did whenever – Louisville brought pressure he couldn't handle it he just couldn't move he used to have subtle movement the great quarterbacks have it and he had it he doesn't have that anymore if the, if the pocket's not there he can't move and move up into the pocket and make plays like he did before and if they can't protect him they're done they just they're not going to be yeah. be effective on offense yeah that's why I'm such a proponent for the two quarterback system at Florida State yeah it they're fits there it's going to work there yeah Other Dima places, the problem not so much you know? The problem, the problem is, is Jordan Travis has a condition that you know that I got keeps him out of practices. He can't. It just, it's a situation. He he misses so much practice time, and it just, how do you, how do you put him out there and have faith in him when he can't, he can't practice? You know, it's, you. so that's their biggest issue. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff that I don't know that inside the program they know more about what's going on. Yeah. Go ahead, Corey. I'm sorry. No, I was saying, yeah, Travis struggles to stay healthy for periods at a time. Chubba Purdy's got getting shoulder surgery like every six months, it seems like. So he's missed a bunch of time. Um, they, they have actually, I mean, I won't make excuses for them. The injury bug has hit, bit them quite hard at times. Uh, but it bit spikes. I mean, it bit the heck out of Louisville yesterday. I mean, you saw their defense forgot. Their defense was dropping like flies in that game. So I think you got you got to fight it. You got to overcome that stuff. Yeah. Um, first half, I, I I can't really explain why they were so bad. And you know, I, I leave more experienced eyes to tell me um, what you guys saw in that first half to why thirty-one to seven shouldn't be happening like that. And they were just awful. And I'm oh, Corey, I mean, what happened? You, you know, somebody proposed a question. Uh, to fish to say what is going on with the secondary well real quick you play with either a single high safety or you play with two high safeties when you play with two high safeties you play cover two which is five under two deep zone or you play 
two man, which is five man underneath two deep zone with the two safeties, or you play a quarters coverage. Now, when you play a quarters coverage, you leave those corners out to dry. Okay, with no help. I don't care where it is on the field. If you, you attack the safeties the right way because they're responsible for the vertical routes of the twos, you can get those number ones in behind those safeties, which I think is happening. Now, when you go to a single high safety, for the most part, you're playing cover three, which is zone. You can go three weak or three strong, depending on the fits in the run game, et cetera. And then you can play a single high safety and you can play man under where you have a, it's not man under, man free, where you have a free safety and you have a low hole player to help with the inside crossing routes and the deep post. So now the corners say to themselves, I only have to take care of this half of the field. I don't have to worry about the post. Well, if you run quarters, you have to worry about the post because you can suck up those safeties in the run game play action or by setting a number two receiver vertical. So your corners have to be pretty darn good to cover the whole field. So, you know, I think they're trying to find an identity. They're mixing up all those things to try to find out what it is. And my experience, again, has always been what's called the robber coverage or the single high safety with the low hole player and the rest of those guys playing aggressive man with help. So I don't know, you know, I, I saw him try to play a little cover too. And the problem is you got to spend a lot of time coaching whatever it is you're going to coach. So you should have a man in a zone incorporated in there to be able to help you guys with the secondary and whatever they're doing. I don't know. Um, I, I'm still curious. I guess so. Is this, a, I feel like this is some of a personnel thing. Um, and I, again, we're going back to blaming the players. I don't know if the coaching, I mean, I don't know if it's coaching scheme. I know at times you said it's just not very aggressive. It needs to be more aggressive. But I think it's been more aggressive this year, you know, they get to the quarterback. They get tackles for losses. They do things up front. Um, Miko Dotson, number nine, I've yet to see him successfully cover anybody since he got to Florida State, you know, with part of that transfer group last year. Jarian Jones looks good, physically looks good. Again, he can't cover. And they keep running these guys out there every week, and they can't cover. And well, teams know they can't cover, and they're just blowing the top off of them. Corey, it's hard to see from the TV copy exactly what's going on. So you have to watch film. But that play that number nine got beat on the post, they ran heavy play action. So it bit those safeties up on the line of scrimmage. And they ran the post in behind it with no help. And that guy just ran away from him, touchdown. Now yeah. they get a little bit smarter. They play a little cover two, a little single high safety, whatever. They roll weak and strong. But that particular play, those safeties, they were heavy play action. Those safeties bit. And they ran the post behind it. Yeah, I don't think they're helping out the secondary that much. I, I think they do put them on an island and they put them in positions we talked about not to be successful. Um, if you're not getting a, you, if you're not getting a constant pass rush, a lot of times the linebackers also are heavily involved in the passing game and they're not doing what they need to do. It's easy to just point out the secondary. Oh, the guy got beat or whatever and blame them. I, I just think there's more to it. Demo can elaborate more on that. I think that their problem on the back end is they get guys in a position where they're not going to be successful. They're, they're not playing to their strengths. We talked about it. You watch Jarvis Brownlee. He's a guy that plays well with the ball in front of him. When he has to turn and run, it's a different story. But he's very aggressive. He tackles. He's probably their best tackling defensive back on the team. So you can't sit there and say, oh, the guy is useless. He, can, he has strengths. Play to his strengths. Put him in a position to be successful. Jer Jerry and Jones is probably should be playing like a, almost like a linebacker, some sort of – Derek Gibson role where he used to play 
uh, kind of like a rover or something where he's in the he's a physical kid. He's probably better closer to the line of scrimmage. They shouldn't be putting him in man coverage as much and putting him in position where he's going against smaller, quicker guys because that's not his strength. He can't cover and open up and run and chase guys. And a lot of these teams put guys in motion or this or that because they want to take advantage of someone like Jerry and Jones. That's the purpose of doing that. So you could get that receiver in space before he could get a hand on him. Jerry's like an old school press cover corner. He needs to press somebody and beat him up at the line of scrimmage. If he can't do that and you get him in space, you're going to eat him up. I'll say this. A lot of coaches can get very cute. They can be jacks of all trades, master of none. And I'll say this about Coach Andrews when I was there. When all shit was hitting the fan and everything was going crazy, we needed a defense. He would go jet robber. And all jet robber was a man-free coverage. We had a single low safety, I mean, a single high safety, and we had a low hole player, usually coming from the linebacker area. Rest of the guys played bump and run man-to-man. And guess what? Credit to Coach Bowden over the years recruiting the right kids. But when you said that, front and that coverage those kids were ready to go they knew it like the back of their hand okay so they were and, and there were some flaws in that too but you had the kids to be able to do it so what he was saying coach was playing to his strength we had the players to be able to do that yeah. so you have to find an identity you can't just keep throwing the dice around and figuring out okay well we'll patch this problem but we got a problem over here well if we patch this problem then we got a problem over here you got to come to some understanding where yeah we'll have some flaws but the kids know what we're doing and we're going to do it to the best of our ability. Um, yeah. I mean, all right. So we talked a little about their defense. I think their linebacker plays is non-existent by the way. I mean, I think that's the one area we can talk about the secondary. I think the front four is generally done. Okay. But their linebacker, I don't even know who their linebackers are like, that's how bad they are. I just don't think they do anything. They, they, do, they do nothing to change the course of a game. Um, I mean, I see them. I know, but I know what linebackers look like, and I see them on the field. But they don't do anything impactfully. Um, offensively, because I think offense, you know, as as I look at this game, the offense just didn't do anything in the first half, and they left the defense out to dry quite a number of times. Um, they're yardage wise, it doesn't look good. I mean, they gained what four hundred fifty yards. They looked fine, um, but. They, you know, like we said, they can't really throw the ball and their receivers aren't very good. And they seem to struggle in short yardage situations. Like everything they seem to get on offense comes off of just these chunk running plays. Um, first of all, why are they so bad on short yardage? Beyond the play calling is absolutely ridiculously dumb, but why are they so bad on four? on these short yardages otherwise, what do they have to do to become more of a consistent yards gaining team? Because, you know, you get your, you get your big carry, your 20, you know, your, your 50 yard carry, and then you go through eight plays where you've netted about four yards. And, you know, you can't, you you can get some nice numbers like that, but you're not necessarily going to get the productivity that those numbers that that you should get with those numbers. I think one, they got to stick to the run. I think two, they got to take someone like Toa Philly, who his strength is, he's never going to get bigger. We are already seen him on campus for two or three years. He needs to move to slot receiver, get him on the field, get McLean on the field. Now you have two guys that are pretty good at catching the ball. You're improving that area of the team, which is a weakness. I just think they have to go to more of a short, quick passing, get the ball out of Milton's hand, do some hitches, do some quick screens, 
uh, do some slants. They don't need to go and throw the ball down the field deep. It's just they don't have enough time with their offensive line and Milton's limitations. They could take a couple shots once in a while, but I'd like to see them try to sustain drives. You said it once before, you can't go broke taking a profit. They don't, they don't take three or four yard plays. They just try to get the big play all the time. And this team's not, they're not capable of making the big play. So I think if they could get more chunk play, you know, little five and six yard gains and try to, you know, sustain some drives and win field position, I think they'll be better off until they do that. I think you're going to just see more of the same. See, when I watch Florida state, I think the play calling is actually pretty good, but they're calling it like they're up 14, nothing. Meaning when they call a game, you can't have the affordability like you're at some other place you were before that you're up 14, nothing. You call a play, no success. You call a play, no success. And then all of a sudden you hit a play. And that's the way a lot of play callers call it. Cause every play you want to have a home run, every play you want to take it positive yards. You don't want any negative yards to get behind the sticks, but a lot of play callers will call plays to set up other plays. So, and that's good when you're ahead. But when you're behind, you got to play catch up. It's hard to call plays because you're going to start to get out of your element and start doing things that you don't want to do. And I think sometimes that's where they go because they are behind and they are so they're getting smoked by Louisville and they have to come back and they have to come back this way. But when you when you when you're on time calling plays, you call your plays to set other plays up, and then it pops. If you watch Florida State, nothing, nothing. Also, the play pops. We'll do that all the time. You can't do it all the time because you're setting them up for something. And the problem is when you coach like that, you got to be ahead. And unfortunately, Florida State's behind a but lot. D, but Dima, I just think they, they go. They were up ten. They were down ten, nothing. The game's not. It's not over. You're not out of the game. And they go for it on a fourth and four, which it was a long fourth and four. It wasn't like right. they they had to make a play. And what do they do? They don't run a seven or eight yard play to a guy. They go deeper and it, it's it's a low percentage pass. Now you're putting a guy, everything has to go right for a team that nothing's gone right for. I, I just, I don't think they're called, like, I don't think they're, listen, I like a lot of the play calling they've done on offense. And I'm not saying, it's all coaching because I don't believe it's all coaching. I've, I've said over and over, I don't think this is a very talented team, but they're not helping themselves out like fourth and three that early in the game, punt the ball. You have a ton of possessions. You, like that possession could have come back more. If they were down 24 to seven, instead of 31, seven, they could have probably won the game. Like it's just one more easy touchdown. You gave them, you gave a team a short field that didn't need a short field. Right. See, Fish, I'm not a gimmick guy, but I believe there's places for gimmicks in the game. But when you rely on gimmicks to help you win, then you got a problem because you know you're falling behind. When you go for it more on fourth down than you usually would, that means your gimmicks are trying to make up for a lack of something. And that's what they're doing because other teams have gimmicks. Yeah, they do. But it's built into their offense and they throw it at an appropriate time during the game. But when you live on gimmicks to help you win, then you're lacking something. And I think that's what we're saying. I kind of question their passing tree a little bit. Like I, their passing offense to me looks like just nothing but slot phase and 50, 50 balls. Yeah. yeah. Look like, like the short passing game isn't there. I mean, it's there when Milton's able to move or Travis is able to move and guys have to come back to him and you might find an open guy and a comebacker. But in general, I don't see like, they're not a, 
they, they this offense is not a pick you apart offense. Like it's not an offense where you know there's check downs and it's just a hey, if you got one on one on the outside, let's go 50 50. And they don't have a receiver that can win a one on one battle. And then it's like, hey, you know, we'll, we'll line up in a bunch and we'll do a slot fade. I think the slot fade worked one time this year in the Notre Dame game uh, when they got a touchdown out of it. But it's not a, you know, it's it's an all their offense does it. And if you look at Memphis's old offense when he was there, it was the same thing. It's a lot of 50 50 balls. And here's I, the thing, Corey it's an offense that's good when you're up 14 nothing and your yeah. team is better than the other team. And all you got to do is chip away at the sticks and, and drive down like it's a run game. You just keep getting first downs. You keep grinding the clock out and you win. And, but you can't do that when you're behind 14 nothing. You can only do it when you're ahead 14 nothing. And I think that's the struggle that they're finding out now. Yeah. All right, guys. So as we come closing to another week, uh, next week, um, big game, Florida, three and one, goes at Kentucky, four and zero. Oh. Um, I think we all think Florida is the better team, but Kentucky is feisty and they play them hard. They play them super hard. You know, they finally broke through a few years ago and got the victory. They were close to getting the next one, then you know Kyle Trask got discovered. Um, what do you see out of this game? I think Stoops does a good job at Kentucky but not this year. I think Mullen's got himself a team. They lost to Alabama, and that might be the last loss that they have. Unless they play flat out flat, which I don't see them doing, I see them building on this one off Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it has been – like up there at, at Lexington, it's been a tough game for them. But I think Florida's – I think Florida's a sleeper team this year. I, I yes. really think they're a sleeper team that could yes. potentially play for a title. Uh, you know, they're going to get a chance – to play all the teams that are ahead of them, whether it's Georgia or any of these other teams. And they're, if they, if they win the, if they win their side, they're going to get another shot at Alabama and that's all they need. They need one shot. That's it. And if the right, you know, they already played them. So it's not like if they haven't seen everything that they they're going to see, I think Florida is a sleeper team this year. Once again, let me make one point. A lot of people say, if you're going to beat Alabama, get Alabama early. Well, guess yeah. what? Alabama's lucky they got Florida early. Yep. That's my opinion. Yep. I agree. Yeah, and then Florida has a lot. You know, they, they got some games to look ahead of. Like I said, that Georgia game. And I know Georgia hosts Arkansas this week and what's a big game. And Ole Miss hosts Alabama this week and what's a big game. There's a lot of big games in the Southeastern Conference this week. Um, Florida State hosts Syracuse. They've Here's the, here's the weird side of this 0-4. They've had three games at home. They're about to have their fourth game at home. They haven't, they've only won road games, I'm trying to think, since 20, since, uh, since Willie Taggart got there. They won a road game at Louisville, and they won a road game at Boston College when Odell Higgins was the um, intern. They did not win a road game last year. And I don't know that they're a team that can win a road game this year. So and they're already – they're about to be two-thirds of the way through their home schedule. You know we're talking about Florida State here. We're not talking about, like, freaking uh, – That's crazy. This, this ain't Rice. I know. And it feels like we're talking about Rice. 3-1 <laughs> uh, and one Syracuse comes into town, just beat uh, Liberty. They can run the ball. They got kind of a shoddy quarterback. Like, they've, they've had, like, shoddy quarterbacks since Donovan McNabb was there, really. None of the quarterbacks have played. Or the squat, but 
they figure out Dino Babers a good coach. He's figured out ways to get this team back on the uh, back on the back on the positive side of the ledger. Well, I looked at their schedule. Trust me, he he may have got them off on the positive side. Let's wait a few weeks, man. Liberty is a Liberty. Hey, Liberty is not a bad win anymore. No, that, no, it's not a bad win. But like, hey, wait a second, man. They ain't going through the freaking gauntlet right now. No, right? no. Oh God, no. But he did what he had to do to get them, kind of bounce them back yeah, a little. He, bit. he gets he gets a beat down Florida State this week. All right, let's see what happens. Is it at Florida State? Yeah. 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 Dino Babers is an Hawaii guy. So, but. I don't care who he's bringing down to Tallahassee. Syracuse ain't beating Florida State. Sorry, it ain't happening. There you go. Florida mm-hmm. State's Florida State's getting off the snide. They get Ooh. off the they got, they got a winning streak. <laughs> Demo, Demo turned his back on that one. He didn't Boy, even want y'all to. Are, y'all, are, y'all are really confident. At least two uh, of you are confident. I, I'm going to say it. I think Florida State wins this week. I do. I do, too. I, I think – they, I, I just, I don't think Syracuse, uh, I, and you know, I got a friend up there. Uh, I don't see it happening, but we'll if see. If it was at the dome, if it was at the dome, yeah. there might I, be a I problem. Think, I think, no. I think Florida State fans will have something to cheer about this week. All, all 31,000 that show up to the game. Hey man, that's a, that's a strong 31, man. Let's go. That's right. 31 strong. Uh, all right, guys. So, um, another week in the books. It's uh been a, it's been an interesting season, then to say the less. Teams that we thought were going to be good have been mediocre. Teams we thought were going to be mediocre have been good. Some have been downright awful. Any final words? Let's let's roll. All right, let's, let's roll. roll. Demo. Um, no, no, no final words this week. Keeping it keeping it short and simple. We'll just have a. A moment of silence. All right, but, yeah, we can do that. Um, yeah, you can Houston, call Houston. Houston, Houston, we got a problem. You can find the Fish Podcast at the Fish Podcast on Twitter. Um, we are available to be downloaded at about twenty different places now, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, Google, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Justin Otto is our producer. We are part of the FNF Coaches Network, and uh, we'll be coming back with more coaches, more recruiting material soon enough, too. So, lots of exciting things ahead. Uh, meanwhile, until then, we want you to have a good weekend. Thank you for listening to the Fishcast on this. Uh, well, we, we, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday morning. We're all we've all been watching about 15 hours of football yesterday, so it's a tired bunch. But thanks for listening anyway. Stay tuned. Stay tuned, guys. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.